0: Welcome to the spoiler room, eight weeks of Alfred Hitchcock. The next eight episodes, we will be covering some films that are known and not so known of Alfred Hitchcock's. We hope you enjoy the show and aren't too scared. If you do get scared, please pause the podcast, have a drink, come back and finish the podcast thank you and enjoy welcome my friends it is eight weeks of hitchcock here in the spoiler room i figured we'd close out 2018 exploring some films that are known and not so known with alfred hitchcock is going to be a learning experience for me because most of these uh i haven't watched because i stopped at psycho and i was like i'm good uh, but there are many films out there in the Alfred Hitchcock catalog, and we will be discussing them over the course of these next few weeks. Last week, we did Notorious, and this week, we have Rear Window. And joining me tonight in the Spoiler Room to talk about Jimmy Stewart-led film, we have none other than the diva of the Spoiler Room. Dawn is with us tonight. Hello, Dawn.
1: Good evening, Mark. Good evening, David.
0: Good evening. And yes, you heard it right. David is back with us in the spoiler room as well from Inside Movies Galore. Hello, David. How are you?
2: I'm doing okay, folks. How is your evening?
0: Well, So far, so good. Uh, the, the white powdery stuff has uh, held off. So uh, there is that. It's just cold. But that's, you know, it's November. So it, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving if you, if you didn't have your winter jacket on. So, <laughs> uh, but tonight, yes, we are talking Rear Window. And uh, David, did you want to give the synopsis of Rear Window, uh, directed by Mr.
2: Alfred Hitchcock? Sure. So, apparently, we have uh, Jimmy Stewart somewhat headlining uh, this uh, feature film. And, uh, well, and he plays a photojournalist who has evidently had some kind of an accident of sorts, which has waylaid him for uh, however, whatever amount of time. I, I think it was six weeks.
0: It was six weeks. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and uh, it just so happens that his apartment faces a bunch of bay windows where every uh, he can see into the lives of evidently several characters and he somewhat involves himself in kind of a who done it kind of a mystery but but also kind of has his own thoughts on life as the <laughs> well, well are
0: are 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 you are you making a, are you making a character judgment of me <laughs> I, 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 I don't like that david you bet your darn ass. I am Mr. Alfred Hitchcock directed a fairly decent film. I might, ask. <laughs> you might, you might, my might, might want to choose your words wisely. There, Sorry. <laughs> I can Uh, who are you again? I,
2: uh, I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, um. In the Rear Window. This is a very interesting film because after I watched it, I thought it was awesome, but I also felt like I needed to take a shower.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's really... You get so swept up in the story that about halfway through, you kind of go, wait a second. Is, is he really the good guy in this? Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) because, well,
0: and and it's Alfred Hitchcock's setup, and I really think, and I want to get uh, both your opinions to see if you you agree or disagree or or have a different view on it, but I really think the, the opening shot of this film serves more than just establishing our little stories that were peering through the windows because you do you get this wonderful sweeping shot of this set because it pretty much takes place all from the perspective of of one room Uh and you get this wonderful sweeping shot where you get to see all these perspective uh from jimmy stewart's room um which i i know i'm going to be calling him probably just jimmy stewart all night it's lb jeffries uh (laughs) you get a shot from his room and you get to see the uh, main players that we'll be observing throughout the film. But not only does this establish these little stories that we will be seeing, how some of them might be loosely tied together or not, but it also immediately puts the audience in the chair of the voyeur, which is a little salacious and a little unnerving a bit, but it puts you in the exact same spot that Jimmy Stewart is in that he's been peering on these guys for a while so before you ever see Jimmy Stewart you as the audience are being a voyeur into these people's lives because you stay on them just long enough to get a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on in their homes as they think they're safe and no one's watching them and you as an audience are now put in that same position that Jimmy Stewart is now in Am I off on that, Don? Does this does this help establish and kind of connect you with Jimmy Stewart to make this kind of forbidden act a little bit more acceptable to the audience?
1: It, it does, but it, Alfred Hitchcock goes so much further. He sit, he in this whole beginning establishing shot. He is, um, he's giving the audience all the information they need to know. It is uh, torturously hot. So everybody's windows are open. The curtains are open so that it's not stifling inside. This is pre air conditioning.
2: I mean, it, just to uh, take a look at them, remember the couple that was uh, laying up so- outside on their balcony because it was so hot.
1: Yes. Uh, and, and the, the way people are dressed, it in windows open with the when after panning through the courtyard and, and seeing all the open windows and kind of setting up the the heat and setting up all of that when the camera pans into LB Jeffrey's room, the first thing you see is a very sweaty James Stewart. Yes. And then it pans through his broken legs, the shot of the camera to tell you what he was, the picture that he took of the car accident, which tells you how he broke his leg and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it, in one single pan shot, it it sets up and gives you everything you need to know.
0: Yeah. It, it, and... So, I mean, it serves so many great purposes. And it it sets up, I think, this helps uh, immediately connect the audience, put you in the seat of Stuart, know everything you need to know, and and get going. And this shot isn't more than a few minutes. David, what do you think of this opening scene And that? Do you think it establishes it, plus gets you into that voyeur role right away so you kind of accept Jimmy's uh, actions a little bit more?
2: Well, kind of, because, uh, I mean... The opening shot uh, basically—I ha- mean—it it shows that Jimmy is perspiring, obviously, because it's so hot. And then it it pans to each of the the stories, and you get—I mean—I was even looking at some uh, uh, uh this was the first time that I actually had probably looked at some of the uh, the uh, what was beyond. You know, the, the, uh, evidently this is a courtyard that he's looking out uh, into right uh, i mean in the background you see you know some kids playing in the street after a vehicle you know so there is obviously a neighborhood that is nearby and you know you see some people cross in between that alleyway but yeah you get to see the different lifestyle styles you even get to see what what is it that one couple that's or did that
0: happen in the opening shot? Yeah, the, new, the newly, well, the, the newly newlyweds red. that, that happens just after, cause Jimmy Stewart starts his peeping Tom thing already. Yep. And, and that's when he pictures the, uh, the newlywed couple that's off to his left that have the shades down after the, wow. uh,
2: what I liked what I was kind of com- uh, comically somewhat chuckling about is the fact that his uh, whatever his photojournalist boss had called him on the phone and yeah, he was uh, he was talking about what is it, uh, married people, and um, he was talking about how, how you know, wives evidently in his neighborhood, wives still nag and. Right you see the nagging couple, you know, mm-hmm.
0: but yeah. Yeah. So we get Jimmy Stewart and he's doing his, his voyeuristic thing and he's watching the different people. Um, but what I think also makes it a little bit understanding still, let's face it. It's still ski. Skee- it's <laughs> what he's doing throughout this whole movie is skeevy. It really is. But at the same time you do kind of understand because he is a photojournalist he's a news guy and yep. so that's his job to observe things and capture things so as as well go ahead don
1: even more than that he views everything at it, even more than his job that's how he sees the world um mm-hmm. and- Journalist, everything is filtered through that lens. So even before he ended up being laid up for six weeks in his tiny two-room apartment, everything, even prior to that, was being was seen through that camera lens. That's normal for him. He would not see that as anything but normal.
0: No, and I, I think what's interesting too uh, is uh the way he sees things and and just something now while we're talking him being a photojournalist, in a way he's looking at moving pictures because of the frames of the windows are the edges of the photos and he's basically almost looking at like a photo album of yeah, the square.
1: Yeah, I see that.
0: Dave, what yeah. do you think? Do you see that, baby? Maybe, maybe a little bit. That I could- do
2: because uh, if you think of like the old Kodak, you know, a push button photos that used to come out, and uh, they'd be all square. Uh, if you held that up against each window, it would almost be like a photograph of. Uh, I mean. In that opening shot, I kept thinking that that uh, ballerina girl was kind of like a Barbie, a Barbie doll, you know. Almost,
0: yeah. And and as as it might be a little bit whatever to the audience, you realize his sole motivation for this is because, though, as mentioned, he's a photojournalist. This, <laughs> this is his entire career, his life. He's looking for stories. He's he So he's not doing this like looking at the ballerina or looking at the other. He's not doing this for uh stimulation, so to speak. This is his inherent nature, I think.
1: Yeah, um, and as a matter of fact, I'm glad you brought that up. Because in that one scene with um, the always amazing uh, Thelma Ritter, Stella, mm-hmm um he she had actually mentioned that there was something wrong with him after looking at all those women for so long and not having any sort of reaction to them
0: right yeah she she is confused by the fact of his motivation for actually looking at these people Mm -hmm. because she's like well you know you know she would look (laughs) she's like (laughs) Uh, but he's looking through everything and of course yeah we have a uh We have a pianist who I thought was wonderful. I I, I loved the fact that, and I could be wrong on this. uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but almost all the music in this entire movie comes from that pianist.
1: Except, Except for the very beginning intro music. Yes. All of the music that is in that movie comes from the set either from that pianist or from the other parties or other things going on in, in within the story. There is no external narrative, you know, voiceover style music at all in the movie. Yeah. It's one of the most outstanding things about the movie.
0: But but you don't realize it. No. I, I mean it you're so into this film you don't realize that. Oh wait all of this music is coming from that guy's apartment to which we get the Alfred Hitchcock moment in, in, at some, at some point early in the movie, Alfred Hitchcock makes his appearance in this film, uh, adjusting the clock for the pianist. So you you get your telltale Alfred Hitchcock story, but we get to Jimmy Stewart who who focuses in on uh, this couple who seem to be the most interesting, out of the group um and yeah david how did you think how would you like this setup or what do you think of this with um him and how he kind of ended up suspecting them out of all these stories going on in the square uh what is it do you think that that made him focus on these people uh so intently in the beginning because there doesn't seem to be too much different from the rest of them
2: well um the fact that he, uh, i mean in a in a way uh, that particular apartment was like dead center mm-hmm. like to his viewpoint so it's kind of hard not to you know it seemed like he was in the apartment that was adjacent to uh, and per, uh, perpendicular to that apartment to in the first place so uh i could see how he could focus Particular uh, on,ly uh, on that um, particular storyline. I mean, he's he's he he's talking about you know nagging in the very beginning, and he's referring to the woman, and then um, I think he's I think he's talking to someone, and then uh, it, it, the his the ma- man and his woman disappear, and then he's like, well, wait. He remembers, you know, him doing a, 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 a something, and a, and then the wife was gone, and then that's when he started noticing, the, you yeah. know, started paying more attention to what the man did afterwards.
0: Yeah, like like wrapping, <laughs> wrapping saws in in paper, brown paper, correct, um, and, and such, all through his his camera lens. While
2: also the dog from the. One couple that was uh, was evidently living on the balcony. Right. They kept letting the dog down in the garden, and uh, when it kept sniffing in that certain corner, you know, uh, of the garden, that was kind of strange too. Saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was strange, and I loved how they dropped the little dog down in the the, the basket. <laughs> down
1: that was so cute.
0: That that was adorable. Poor poor doggy. <laughs> Later on, faces some I, kind of.
1: David makes a good point. It was very. It's very hard with the Thurwalds there. It's very hard to miss the fact that they are directly opposite the courtyard from each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like the first people they would see. But I think it go. I think it's a, even a little more than that because why um, Jeffries would take an interest in that because. Um, He mentions that Mrs. Thorwald is an invalid, and suddenly she goes missing. And Mr. Thorwald's been taking care of her this whole time, and suddenly she's gone. And here's L.B. Jeffries, all laid up like an invalid, feeling very, very helpless.
2: Does does anyone get the sense that um, uh, he has actually been watching these people for quite some time? So the entire he,
1: time he's been laid up.
2: Uh, yeah. co- correct. Like, he already knows their routines by the time we pan in on his, uh, on this story.
0: Yeah, well, he does because uh, uh, Stella mentions how he seems obsessed with looking out his window constantly through this whole ordeal because she comes in and gives him the therapy, uh, the physical therapy in that. Um, but yeah, oh, he's definitely comfortable around these people. I mean, he's so comfortable. He knows exactly how far back he's got to wheel his wheelchair so he's out of sight and he can still peep <laughs> in on people.
1: You know, he has nicknames for them all without even knowing their real names.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he's created nicknames for all. He he knows routine. Miss Lonely Hearts, the one who has dinner by herself. Uh,
2: more, so. Imaginary romance.
0: Yeah uh you know and then the uh older lady who lives next to her the the artist the the elderly artist who is uh which i thought was an interesting thing that you had the the older lady who was an artist a sculptor and that and then you had the young lady who lived above her you know who was an artist as
2: well did you catch that when she came out, uh, the older lady came out and laid herself in the lawn chair, that I think that she was trying to catch the attention of the man uh, who had the invalid wife?
0: Thorwall? I, I got that impression in the beginning, Don. What about you? I, I think it felt like that a little bit, maybe.
2: Just a little bit, uh, because because uh, uh, you know how you have that neighbor that, uh, that just wants to- <laughs> Attention of the other neighbor, just because she's just that lonely and desperate for attention. Maybe
0: uh, Don, what do you think?
1: Uh, are you talking about Miss Lonely Heart, or are you talking no. about- the talking
0: the about- the elderly yeah. lady who does the um uh, statues? Oh, you know the one that that uh, I
1: she- must have missed that because oh the yeah, only thing I
2: really noticed. Well, yeah, she came out onto the lawn chair and then it's like she was sunning herself. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's about uh, when, uh, the time when an uh, when, uh, older uh, guy who had the invalid wife came out and attended his garden. And then she went over in her two-piece and, or was it a one-piece? I'm not sure. Really. It was
1: two-piece.
2: Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, that was kind of unflat- uh, unflattering on her. Um, but um, she went over, and she uh, she was trying to, uh, trying to uh, socialize with
1: him. I think.
0: Right. Yeah. She.
1: Oh yeah, I remember that part now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I it's... think that was more to establish that he was antisocial.
0: Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and
1: unneighborly.
0: <laughs> that is Mr. Lars Thor Thorwald. Yeah, that's is, the,
1: that's Thorwald.
0: Which is which is Raymond Burr with a powdered hair.
1: <laughs> and I kept looking at what? him thinking, he's so young. <laughs> he's
2: not really that young in here though. I mean, not as young as he was in Godzilla.
0: Well, maybe not, but I mean he's still he still looked young. I mean he Raymond Burr overall kind of aged very well, especially back then. But I mean, you know, he was what? Uh, Cause this was 54.
1: 54.
0: So he was uh, 37.
1: Yeah. He was so young.
0: He was 37, but they tried to make him look so much older with the powdered hair.
2: Yeah, they did. <laughs> it,
0: just, it was like, when <sighs> I saw Raymond Burr in the credits, I was like, Oh really? And I'm waiting for it. And I'm waiting for it. And I'm like, wait, where's Raymond Burr? Like, <laughs> for most of the film, I'm sitting there going, wait, is he Thorwald? No, he can't be. Well, that's got white hair, but that's badly whited hair. Wait, is that
2: <laughs> that was
0: horrible? But I'm like
2: I guess they gave him parliament hair.
0: <laughs> they did. I'm not sure why. Um well, you know.
1: they were I I watched uh A documentary about this recently, um, because you know I fell asleep last time, so I had extra time. (laughs) Um, They that decision, the the gray curly wig, and some of the mannerisms were a was an intentional choice, uh, because it was Alfred Hitchcock picking on another producer that he really didn't like. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I can't remember who is the what the producer's na- name was but because, it, was, it was an intentional course. choice
0: but because of course it would be with alfred
1: hitchcock right? yeah <laughs> i'm trying to find the information but yeah it was a it was a very specific choice to have him do that uh it was the curly wig the glasses and the way he cradled the phone were specifically mentioned as as a nod to this director or producer that uh, Alfred Hitchcock did not like. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't remember the name of the oh, guy. It's
0: okay. It's okay. I'm seeing really quick if it, it shows up in. Uh... Oh, here we go. Uh, that's why David Nick.
1: Yes. That's the one.
0: Yeah, according yeah. according to ibidim Sir Alfred Hitchcock supposedly hired Raymond Burr to play Lars Thorwald because he could easily made to look like his old producer David O. Selznick, who Sir Alfred Hitchcock felt interfered too much with his work.
1: There Thank you God. go. You found it. Thank wow. you. Yeah, that was a, that is a bit of trivia that I specifically remembered from the documentary I watched.
2: <laughs> the fact that he could thumb his nose at uh, at uh, a pa- uh, past producer shows that Alfred Hitchcock had balls.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he didn't really care. Well, I mean, you know, he's an established British guy, and then he came over and hey, he's in the U.S. Screw you guys! I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> so, uh, what's interesting is and. and you know, we mentioned a little bit of dichotomy things going on here. There's one in particular that dawn it just came to mind again. I, I, that's why I love doing this show. You guys are awesome. Just came to mind here we have Jimmy Stewart who's laid up, basically invalid, uh, focusing on a couple to where a man is taking care of his wife, who's an invalid who disappears. Jump to Jimmy's to uh, lb Jeffrey's situation. He's an invalid. Who has a girlfriend who is trying to take care of him, in the form of Grace Kelly?
1: And what an introduction to her character, huh? Beautiful.
0: <laughs> and we have Miss Grace Kelly here, who is a very interesting. This is a very interesting relationship. Don, what do you think about it between these two? Here we have the rough and tumble photojournalist and Miss Society of sorts that well, sort uh, miss society uh, uh, Lisa Carol Fremont uh,
1: to be fair it makes sense
2: That's, uh, those were the lamps. You, mm-hmm.
1: you get the photographer you get yeah. the
2: you, model. You get
1: the model it mm-hmm. makes sense that they would meet and, and be interested in each other um, but what you don't expect is it, what a strong character she is
2: yes. And how much they love a mystery uh, together.
1: And she she, when they're first talking about their relationship and why it's not going to work.
2: They come from two different worlds.
1: Mm-hmm. And And then she gets drawn into his little intrigue and drawn out of her shell. He sees just how strong she can be. She's pretty awesome, but she still manages to be the perfect, perfect woman.
0: And tall. I
1: don't know anybody who's not in love with this woman.
0: Grace Kelly is awesome. I love their
2: uh, their introduction to each other, uh, other. Uh, because at the end, he's like, who are you?
0: (laughs) Well, I like this introduction because it felt almost like Alfred. (laughs) Alfred. was getting in the first scenes where we have them together is getting that whole bit with relationship out of the way <laughs> more, you know, to go back to the who done it, but he knows you're going to have questions with her, you know, Grace Kelly and or, or, or Jeremy Stewart, you know, um, together people are going to have questions and wonder about the relationship. And is it, you know how it is, so we get all that relationship bit and the, the, this first scenes here where they're debating about being together or whatnot. But then we don't really come back to them as far as talking to each other because they become focused on the couple and start sharing that mystery. But I, I just kind of like that, how he kind of got the romance part out of the way.
1: They get the romance part out of the way and then they get swept up in the mystery. But then there's the one scene where... They definitely, where she definitely proves that she is a woman of her own mind when she determines that she is spending the night. Oh, yes. In 1954, she is spending the night.
0: To which Grace Kelly already had a bit of a reputation of being a free spirit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Which made for an interesting scene, which showed you the 50s, because... This is later on in the movie, folks. Grace Kelly, uh, they're wrapped up in the mystery, and so she wants to stay. Um, and Jimmy Stewart's like, oh, I'm not sure. Might have to clean that with the landlord and then go back for." But no, she comes back and she stays, and she's got a overnight bag, which is actually an overnight bag that's like the TARDIS, I
1: think.
0: <laughs> because she's got like... Everything you need in this, like just a little night
2: and some slippers.
0: I'm like, wow, okay,
2: all you need. Where's the
0: (laughs) I guess? But then uh Jimmy Stewart's uh excuse me, LB Jeffries buddy cop uh comes over. Uh Doyle played by Wendell Corey. He's been kind of being bothered by Jimmy, uh by LB Jeffries throughout this, who suspects some strange things afoot in the Thorwald household. And so Doyle comes over to let, you know, Jimmy Stewart uh, (laughs) keep doing that. I am so sorry, folks. L.B. Jeffries, though, that, hey, um, yeah, all your suspicions so far have come up false. But he keeps staring at the nighty in the night.
2: (laughs) The I Dream of genie costume. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, like, focused on it. He's, like, huh. And and, Once you get to the night ideas.
0: Yeah. I, I thought that was just a funny... It, it shows you the the culture back then because, you know, L.B. Jeffries is just like, uh yeah, what are you looking at, Doyle? What, what do you think? What? Yeah? She's going to stay. So what? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it does show kind of a, the sign of the times, I think. You know, she's his girlfriend, but they're not married, but she's staying overnight.
2: How How... Uh, I guess, I guess Doyle is just used to their carefree days in the army where every girl was for uh, every man for himself. (laughs) I guess kind of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I did like that. The fact that they were army buddies, which it's 54. So, you know, that's still fresh. And given the age of the characters, yeah, they'd be in the army. So they kind of uh, share that experience. Um, but the Doyle character is interesting. I mean, here he is this merry guy, and he's kind of humoring his, his buddy LB Jeffries. Uh, but you know, you do get the impression he does kind of suspect things, but he almost more so thinks that his buddy's kind of got off the deep end. Uh, Don, what'd you think of Doyle in this?
1: I I thought he was. I thought he was handled very well. Mm -hmm. Um, He was not just the yes man cop trying to get uh, vehicle doing the in, he was the voice of reason saying, you know, witnesses saw her get on the train. Witnesses saw her get off the train. People people saw her and talked to her. Um, Did you verify who she was? Why would we need to? (laughs) <laughs> we looked at the trunk, there were clothes in the trunk, there was no bloody body parts in the trunk. Why is this still an issue? He was very much the voice of reason. Um, and, and not really, without any evidence looking to seek further. He wasn't inept. And he was, believable, he was believing in what Jeffries was telling him to a point, to a reasonable point. Right Right up until, you know, the breaking and entering and and getting evidence.
0: (laughs) Yes, which again, folks, here we have a story. It's in 54. We have your male lead, Jimmy Stewart. You have uh, the wonderful Grace Kelly. You have these two roles. But since L.B. Jeffries is trapped in his room with his broken leg, you actually have the female lead doing all the dirty work mm-hmm. and doing it well.
1: And, and taking all the risks and getting into all the danger.
0: Yes, and but willingly doing so
1: mm-hmm.
0: and enjoying doing so to an extent. You know, when you get that scene later on when they're suspecting what might be in the garden uh, and they think maybe something is there, You know, uh, Stella is going with and, you know, uh, uh, Fremont, she has she doesn't hesitate to just crawl over the wrought iron spike.
1: (laughs) No, she doesn't. And then and then hop from the balcony to the window.
0: Yeah, because
1: I I actually remember the first time I saw this movie and saw that scene and went, that is so cool. I want to be her. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that that was so badass that she she couldn't get in through the one door so she she left you're like holy crap uh, <laughs> all the
1: while in a party dress and heels
0: all the while in a party dress and heels too because i that's my exact thought going wow she's doing all that in, in heels at a dress that's that's damn impressive, uh, David. What do you think of of uh, her doing the dirty work in that and enjoying it? Do you think this is maybe a break a little bit from what you've seen other female leads in Fifty Four?
2: I would say that, you know, at this point in time, yes, it, it, because the, I mean, women were entirely, you know, headstrong as far as you know taking the lead in so- something like th- this um so i think it was a daring move
0: yeah i you know it, in in a good way it, it would it fit the plot too it wasn't like you know although i'm thinking nowadays if this came out people would say oh well, they just have her do it everything because you know you know social justice whatever but back in the day uh it fit the context of the story her character and it was just it was so cool uh to have her do this because your male lead is stuck in a chair the entire time <laughs> all he could do is look and you feel helpless for him you know uh you know h- how'd you feel David i mean when you get that scene where you get later in the act where she she's looking for the jewelry uh and thorwald shows up i mean you're observing it all from the window but is that scene still intense even though you're not really up close and personal to everything
2: Really is intense because uh, because you're you're watching this happen and you know uh she uh you know that he's uh Mr Thornwald is co- uh, coming up coming into uh, to, uh, to the room just as she's going into that other room and you're seeing this all happen you know and it, it it's like you're you're it's it's kind of hard to describe because it's like it's like you're watching uh, watching something happen uh, when nobody knows that that you're watching you know right and you kind of get a guilty uh, a guilty thought, well, maybe I should be seeing this, but uh, but in the same respect, you're like, oh my god, what is going to happen next?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and by this time in the movie, when this happens, where she gets caught by Thornwald, you've watched through a lot of people's windows during the course of this film. Uh, but you still kind of feel a little guilty, but it, it's far away, yet it's still intense. Dawn, do you think that's part of the magic of this film, is the fact that you get a scene like this to where you're not really up close and personal, but it's still really tension-filled.
1: It's it's one of those it, it's one of those incredible filming techniques that Hitchcock used. You're watching from a distance. That that distance is key, S- so that you feel it's far enough away that you feel helpless and you know that nobody's going to get there in time to help her. But then he pans back and you see Jim Stewart's uh, I'm sorry, Jeffrey's uh, reaction, Jeffrey and Stella's reaction. And then it goes so you're you can see his helplessness and it just spikes your own helplessness and anxiety and and builds the suspense as they pan back and forth between the drama happening between Thurwald and um and Lisa. Mm-hmm. And then panning back to Jeffries and Stella and back and forth and that tension just builds and builds and builds. And if you didn't feel helpless enough watching the one, you felt even more helpless because you couldn't help the other either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A, it,
1: brilliant technique.
0: It, it is. He, he just, he grabs you and, and puts you there and you feel helpless and, and you feel connected to these characters through all this and you don't even realize it's happening until mm-hmm. you get to this part he he just eases you into it but i mean it's just like you You even get that though with miss lonely hearts yeah don't yeah. you i mean it's a sub story but he didn't he add tension with that one too you know what scene i'm talking about too
1: yeah it's it's that same scene where where lisa's in with Thorwald. And they're cutting back and they're talking about how oh my gosh she has enough of those red pills in order to really do some damage and they're still keeping an eye on both of them calling the police for the one but then ending up calling the police for the other
0: <laughs> yeah it, it it that's whole scene you got so much going on <laughs> it's like wow you know in miss lonely hearts you feel for her because we saw that she picked up a date. She actually got some companionship and then freaked out on him. So, that, uh, you know, earlier. Um,
1: well, he was being wildly inappropriate.
0: He was. He was being a little too forward. Yes. Um. As well. Uh. You know, so uh, it both was just an ugly situation. So you felt for her and then you see her the next night or whatever with the with the pills. And you're just like, oh, my God. God. No, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yet we don't actually meet any of these people personally. Mm-hmm. We still feel connected to every single one. And I think that's Alfred's art in this one is that you have all these almost like a little anthology thing going on to where you have all these little stories and yet, you know, You feel for them. You have, like, uh, the musician guy, he has his uh, party going on, you know, and you feel good for him because, okay, he actually has people there. Now, you know, because he seemed a bit lonely. And Mm -hmm. then you had Miss Torso, who seemed to have a variety of different people in her apartment to entertain. Um, Or booze. Huh? Or booze. Or booze. Um, you know, she's a bit of a, a free spirit. You had the couple to the left who, the poor guy, who couldn't apparently get a break from his newlywed wife.
2: I kind of felt for him. What? I kind of felt for
1: him. No sympathy. No. no sympathy.
0: Don had no sympathy for him.
1: <laughs> Just a little
2: bit. Why
0: would that be Don? No.
2: He carried her over the threshold. Well, after he forgot for, for a moment, he did the romantic thing and was nice.
0: Yes. But we get so many elements here with the Thurwald character. And, and of course, as we get near the end, uh, you know, LB Jeffries is, is kind of caught by Mr. Thurwald finally, you know, because you needed a confrontation between these two eventually. And, you know, even then, we don't leave the apartment. <laughs> we we see Thurwald leaving, and then you get that tension wondering, is he really going to show up at Jeffrey's apartment? Is he not? And up until this point, before we finally get kind of the twist, the reveal, Dawn, do you think Alfred threw enough bit of misdirection to where... He put enough question on whether, you know, at least for the first time you see this, is he actually, is Jeffries actually making this stuff up in his head? It, uh, you know, almost up to that point, do you, do you feel that way that he, they established that enough?
1: I think up, right up until, right up until they slide the note under his door. Mm-hmm. And then make the phone call to get him out of the apartment so Lisa can so Lisa and Stella can go down and dig up the the flowers. Oh right. Right up until that point, you are the audience is left to wonder if he's just making up a fanciful story. But once Lisa gets in that apartment and has the confrontation with Thurwald, you know that he's guilty of something.
0: Right, he, he might not be exactly murder of his wife, but there's something fishy going on.
1: Yes, there's definitely something fishy going on.
0: Right, and, and even
1: I think... even up until when Thurwald goes into Jeffrey's apartment, mm-hmm. there's still some kind of well, maybe it's not the worst thing that happened. Maybe we're still misunderstanding. Maybe. <laughs> maybe 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 yeah and i think they keep it very ambiguous until the very end. after thurwald takes his dive not thurwald
2: no jeffries Jeffrey.
1: takes his dive and the cobbling's out the window and says hey he's ready to take us for a tour of the east river
0: yeah yeah you're, you're right even when when you have thurwald in the con confronting you're like is something else he guilty of maybe it's not murder oh i don't know you know and and doyle helped plant those seeds i think in your head uh-huh. enough which is doyle's uh character's purpose throughout this whole thing is to sit there and add that you know suspicion because on the other side you have stella who is kind of feeding you know kind of feeding his suspicions. Oh, God, I love Stella. My Stella. favorite scene is that last scene with her. Uh, Stella, is Selma awesome.
1: Ritter, she's fantastic.
0: Thelma Ritter was fantastic in that, but uh, David, how about you? Do you think they threw enough at you to kind of question what Thurwald, if anything, he really is guilty of up until that point? Where he's trying to kill Jeffries.
1: I think
2: they uh, they threw enough at us uh, to um, to be as involved and invested in the uh, mystery of what was going on, be- uh, because you, you know th- there were some inconsistencies with wh- uh, what Thornwald was doing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, uh, how often is it that a man that has an invalid wi- wife, um, uh, you know, the next uh, 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 the next day you see him uh, wrapping up some knives, and, <laughs> and then of course you see you know all these suitcases by the be- bed. You know this this does make you kind of curious. But I mean, what would you do if you were like stuck in front of a window in a <laughs> That was so itchy that you had to uh, uh, you had to uh, get down there in your uh, your Menards and you know
0: make strategy. one of the make make one of the many Jimmy Stewart faces
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> very animated faces. So yeah, I think I think they throw enough in there for you to wonder whether or not this has been kind of in his head and maybe Thurwald is, isn't actually guilty of murder, but no, Thurwald finally does lose it and uh, it dr- tries to drop Jeffries out a window. And uh, the cops show up just in time because we finally have everything kind of resolved.
1: Before we go too far, what do you think of that uh, defense that uh, Jeffreys used? His only line of defense.
0: Uh, which one was that? I'm sorry. I, I...
1: The flashes for the camera. Oh, Yes. Yes, that's right.
0: Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So folks, we have this final confrontation with Thurwald and Jeffries. He's in there, and Thurwald's coming after Jeffries, and he doesn't have a gun, he doesn't have a weapon, he can't do much, but he does have one thing: his flashbulbs. Which he,
1: uses- he does not use as a bludgeon.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> he he uses the blind, which is an awesome effect for 1954 Alfred Hitchcock. Again, doing some cool things with, with visuals to where we get a point of view of Thurwald as he gets the flashes in the face. Um, You know, because this is the only thing Jeffries has to defend himself is his camera. You know, the camera is, is his tool to peer through things and the accessory for the camera is his only defense. You know, otherwise he's he's rather vulnerable. I loved that. I love it made sense for his character. I loved how he suspected what was coming, so he prepared ahead of time by having it with him when Thorwald came into the room. Yeah, I mean, I I loved it. I th- I thought it was really interesting way to to handle that and him try to fend off Thorwald. What about you, David?
2: Um, repeat what you just said.
0: The the part with uh, how he defended himself with the flash bulbs. How what did you think about that?
2: I actually thought that was brilliant. Uh, I mean, the fact that uh, it seemed like um, the Thornwell character, uh, 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 without his glasses, might actually be you know that sensitive to that kind of you know light. And at, at that point in time, cameras, uh, the the flashes. Oh my God! when, when they flashed you. Uh, that that would put anyone off center you know I mean wh- when you'd get school pictures when they used to do those flash bulb things because I remember I remember flash bu- uh, uh, flash bulbs before the digital, uh, digital just a little bit yeah yeah
0: I thought it was a really fitting defense for him um and it made sense because you almost think with him being a military guy he's going to pull out a gun.
2: Although it, it kind of reminded me of like, uh, like uh, when you saw um, military movies where they used um, used actual, you know, gunpowder uh, uh, where they'd have to fill the gunpowder uh, uh, up and it would take time. Oh, you know, yeah. Where where he where in with the flashes, he, he actually had to wait for that flash to be ready.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and he had to get rid of the, the old bulb and put the new one in. So it was right. almost like reloading a gun. You know, and they do say you shoot things with a camera, so you know, it, maybe metaphorically, <laughs> it, you know, it, he used it like a gun. Uh, but alas, it didn't f- thwart off uh Perry Mason for long. And uh, old uh, peppered hair Perry Mason's hanging him out the window, <laughs> and the cops show up and get him just in time. But he does end up dropping Jeffries, which we see did injured. and I think you need this.
1: <laughs> One other thing I want to say about that fight scene. Yeah, go ahead. During that it was during that fight scene that I noticed that they did not use music. Yes. In any any like narrative style overtone music, no suspenseful music, nothing. It was that scene that made me realize that they did not use that Hitchcock did not use ambient music, only that whatever music was playing in the courtyard.
0: Well, and I think he did that for realism, because the only thing you've got is the echoes of Stuart. His voice in that, which if any of us has ever lived in an urban area. When people are yelling out in the streets, it sounds just like that. Uh-huh. Which added to the realism of this and the gravity, no pun intended. Uh <laughs> <God>. <laughs> sorry, couldn't resist the gravity of the street. but you're right. usually you would get music for this, you know, dramatic confrontation with the the main bad guy and here we don't we just get the the echoes of the yelling in the courtyard and that drew draws people out from their room so now suddenly everybody who he's been spying on are now watching jimmy stewart well lb jeffrey yep
1: exactly
0: suddenly now he has is being basically watched or peeped on by the people around that he's been watching and yeah he gets dropped and he ends up breaking his other leg and i think you need this yes i know he's his the hero quote-unquote hero but i think you need a consequence
1: oh definitely
0: because of what he's been doing these six weeks
1: yeah oh definitely (laughs)
0: I mean, even though he's here, you do need that because he what he was basically doing was violating these people's privacy. I mean, it helped him catch a killer, but a...
1: they and they even had the the discussion about that. Is it ethical, is it moral to spy on somebody, even if you prove they're innocent of a thing?
0: Yeah. And they leave that up to the audience to really decide. You, you don't, I mean, you, they, they give their opinions, but it, it really does kind of like leave you going, well, were we supposed to be rooting for
1: LB Jeffrey? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, and what's funny about this film is, and pardon if I may be on a little bit of a soapbox, I do apologize, but, you could still apply the core themes of watching people's lives and sticking your nose in other people's business to today.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: So, so you agree, Dot that this still has social relevance today?
1: Absolutely. So here in the re- rear window, you've got the you, you've got the everybody knows everybody else's business kind of attitude in a community like this. With the windows open and no apparent attempt at privacy for a lot of these people apply that to today twitter facebook Mm -hmm. all you know is what's there but half the time people have thousands of facebook friends or myspace friends or instagram twitter whatever and people just post without thinking right post pictures post videos Post status updates, ambiguous, specific, whatever. S- they forget about their audience. It's the same thing.
2: In a sense, wouldn't you s- uh, say that unfriended is kind of similar? Unfriended is is similar because uh, you're seeing things from a different window. Except you're it, it, in this in that respect. Even though it was a bad film. Um, <laughs> You, you see it from a bird's eye view, you know. I mean, right? Yeah, it's using that same concept
1: thematically. Anything that is voyeuristic, I would say, definitely draws from *My Window*.
0: Yes. Uh, what was what was the one film a number of years ago? Uh, I think. Is oh.
1: yeah. it sliver.
0: No. no no you know which one i'm talking about it's the one where the kid gets put on house arrest
1: oh yes um oh for the love of god i can see the poster in my head with the with the binoculars
0: yeah yeah you know which one i'm talking about it, it, it that's basically a that was a, a a version of rear
2: window I yeah think. what about summer of 84 i mean just recently
0: i haven't seen that one yet uh is that one similar in theme
2: in the sense kind of uh, kind of like disturbia, or... disturbia. There you go.
0: thank you disturbia <laughs> thank you david uh that's what i was thinking of disturbia is exactly kind of a modern retelling of rear window in many ways um and in fact i think that's what it was meant to be in all honesty if i remember correctly a bit um
2: Summer of 84, um, I I was able to get a Blu-ray from a friend of mine um, and able to watch it. Uh, it uh, You've got a group of four friends kind of like strange. uh, They're all watching their neighbor from across the street and trying to piece together a murder. Uh, And they all do it from his bedroom window somewhat. Except They do they do some following, but much of it is done through binoculars, you know, from their from the kid's bedroom window. So it's to uh, to me it it's kind of similar.
0: Oh yeah, I I I, have been meaning to check that out. So that's uh, that's cool that it's along that lines. Oh, and there we go. Uh, Just looking up a little bit of trivia and disturbia. Uh, because it does feel so much like Rear Window. If you folks uh, don't mind humoring me a little, I got a little tidbit there. The copyright holders of Cornell's Woolrich's short story, It Had to Be Murder, which Rear Window was based on, sued DreamWorks, Paramount Pictures, and Steven Spielberg for using the story without permission. Nice. In 2010, the federal judge dismissed the suit Ruling, the main plot points are similar, only at a high, unprotectable level of generality, where Disturbia is rife with subplots. The short story has none. The setting and mood of the short story are static and tense, whereas the setting and mood of Disturbia are more dynamic and peppered with humor and teen romance. Wow. So they lost oh, the so- lawsuit.
1: That's sad. Which is- Although Understandable.
0: I I get that, but then you know maybe the wrong people were going for the copyright thing. Maybe it should have been, maybe uh it, it should have been um, you know them going after the the folks from Rear Window going after it though. So I think they're both owned by Paramount, so um, yeah, so they had the rights to it. But yeah, it's just an interesting tidbit because, yeah, when I watched Disturbia, yeah, they're both Paramount Pictures, so just Paramount felt they could do whatever they wanted. So, yeah, Disturbia, if you're looking for a little more modern version, uh, not quite as well-crafted, but still decent. Um, It might turn people off because it has Shia LaBeouf in it.
1: Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, But it's a very good, modern more modern version of this film, though I still... Yeah, and I think we'll wrap it up here tonight. I, I still say you need to check out, visit some of the classic folks. Definitely check Rear Window out. Another film that is not your stereotypical 1954 film.
1: And, and even more, if you've never seen an Alfred Hitchcock movie, this is the epitome. It has every great thing, a, a taste of every great thing Hitchcock ever did. Yeah, is sampled in this movie somewhere.
2: I agree. Um, I mean, when uh, L. B. Jeffries uh, fell from that window, you saw Vertigo in a sense. Yeah, uh, uh, re- recaptured. I mean, you've, you've you've got a little bit of his trademark around every corner. You know. Yeah. Well, so, the,
0: your Grace Kelly character uh if you look at her character is approach a, a bit similar similarity to uh notorious to um you know the female in that character the way he handles that character she's a a, a strong character in a sense you know, I,
1: in another story just, she might have been the femme fatale
2: yeah just, just be glad she wasn't Tippy Heron <laughs>
0: You know, I yeah, you do get those bits in here. You know the the wonderful scenes that he, Alfred can do to where there's no dialogue, yet you know you got major storytelling going. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, you know, you you, you get those filled moments, and you're right. This has got a, like a sample of all of the things that are signature Hitchcock are in Rear Window. And, you know, it's got a couple of known names that you should know out there. And yeah, this would be, this is a good gateway film for your Alfred Hitchcock, I think.
1: So I'm pretty sure. So this was the first Hitchcock movie I ever saw. Back in the mid ish, early to mid 80s, uh, just after this film was completely restored. Uh, I was in junior high and a girlfriend of mine and I went to see this movie at the theater. It was the first time I'd ever seen this movie. It was the first time I'd ever seen a Hitchcock movie. I thought it was a brand new release at the time. Really? I was young and foolish. Um, but yeah, the um, I fell in love with Grace Kelly, wanted to be her. Who wouldn't have? Right. <laughs> But yeah, that this is one of those few movies that I can I can point to and say, I remember everything about seeing this movie for the first time. And this movie influenced me.
0: Wow. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and it is not like your normal what you would maybe classify as a classic film. And we'd probably be saying this a lot with Alfred Hitchcock's films. Uh it, it, it's got a even though some of the references might be a little dated this ages very well
1: yes it does
0: this story i think ages beautifully for a film of its time uh because you don't have too many things in here that truly date it to make you pull out of it and it's got still common themes because voyeurism yeah internet culture we are we are strife.
2: <laughs> it's everywhere. I mean, the only thing dated is the uh, telephone, uh, the the old dial telephone that that you see in there. You know, I mean, uh, that's uh, that is the only dated uh, th- uh, thing that uh, that I mean you d- you don't see many of those in use as right. much. As well.
0: Yeah, you you don't. That's about the only thing with the phone. But everything else in here you know, you could, it still fits today. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, and it, it's got a happy ending. Yay. Especially for everybody because we get, we, we even get tie-ups for all the stories. <laughs> which, which one, Don, was your favorite out of the little story tie-ups in the uh, epilogue that we get?
1: I loved when, when Miss Torso's soldier boyfriend came home. That was the sweetest thing. <laughs>
0: The
2: little,
0: little short nerdy soldier boy yes. is is the husband of the tall attractive ballerina Miss Torso. I loved that reveal. I was like, that's awesome. And they are so happy. <laughs> <laughs> they are so happy. Uh, David how about you what was uh, out of this uh, epilogue that you get what, did you have one that uh, kind of that you enjoyed the most out of
2: um I would have to say the uh, the sailor one what uh, was kind of un- unique even though I did uh, did enjoy kind of singing that you know uh, Grace Kelly's character uh, uh, kind of ended up staying with uh, with him in the end uh, mm-hmm. Uh, through the whole bro- uh, process. So, you know, he's got the dub- uh, 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 double legs banged up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, she's sweating she, up a storm. She's reading uh, a travel guide for mountain climbing until she noticed he falls asleep. Then she goes right to her bizarre uh, magazine showing you she hasn't completely compromised herself um, <laughs> for him, you know, which was a nice touch. I liked Uh, I mean the one that made me smile the most was that but what I really liked is the story of how they really bring because the music guy is the one we don't look at the least we know he's frustrated with his music he's mostly providing the music for the scenes but we've come to find uh, because we didn't mention earlier just before Miss Lonely Hearts was going to commit suicide she hears the music play by the piano player so in the epilogue she's sitting with the piano player, and they're going over his music, and I'm like, "That's awesome!"
1: <laughs> you know, it's like, that is wonderful.
0: You're like invested in all these people by the end, and you didn't even realize you were until you get this epilogue, and you're just happy. You know, the the couple that had their dog die—they've got a new little puppy who they're training to stay in the basket, which made me nervous
1: because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see it go.
0: I don't want to see no. the puppy. Yeah, I don't want to see the puppy get too overzealous, you know.
1: Um, or fall off the darn basket
2: the, uh, before it gets to the bottom.
0: Right, right. So, <laughs> so I think we'll wrap it up, folks. Uh, if you haven't guessed, yes, watch Rear Window. <laughs> it's a great Gateway Alfred Hitchcock film. It's just a great film, really. And uh, we'll probably be saying this often with these films. And there's a reason why we're doing eight weeks of Hitchcock. And it's for films like this. I haven't actually seen this one in quite some time i do remember watching it a long time ago and it's one i need to revisit more often because this is just one of those where you just you get pulled in and it keeps you there and you're just like this is amazing and then you even realize wait we never leave his room (laughs) how do you tell a movie like this gets you so engrossed and you don't leave
2: his window
0: you never leave his room. You don't even see his kitchen. No. Well, you see part of it, but you never see his full kitchen.
2: Only when she orders the uh, the food and uh, and uh, the uh, the waiter goes in, in and brings the food uh, food uh, food in do you get to see a bare minimum of what the kitchen looks like.
0: Right. So I mean, you barely even see that. It's just all from his room. And you get totally engrossed, and it's what makes this film so really freaking cool. Uh, So I think we'll wrap it up here tonight. Uh, I want to thank my panel for joining us. Now this is the time where they get a license to shill, and they can tell you where you can find uh, their stuff at when they aren't uh, here, uh, Grace Kellying us with their presence. Uh, So uh, you like that? That was horrible. I know, that was a dad joke. (laughs) I'm sorry. But now I'm thinking of Grace Kelly. So do what you did, Don. Go ahead, Don.
1: Well, she's a fantastic thing to think about, even, you know, as a corpse. Um, So you can find me in the audience.net.
0: I want to see a movie called The Corpse of Grace Kelly. Corpse
1: of Grace. Andrew. Yeah, (laughs) Andrew.
2: The
0: Corpse of Grace Kelly. There you go. Uh, (laughs) And David, where can they find your stuff, sir
2: well, uh, you can find me on fa- uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, YouTube, at Inside Movies Galore uh, uh, currently, uh, as I have uh, been doing YouTube reviews on uh, YouTube, as well as run my own discussion group. Definitely check th- uh, those out last week i've been sick but i will be back with a vengeance this week (laughs) awesome well uh, thank you
0: again both uh, very much please folks uh, check out their stuff it's really great and uh yeah and now i think we'll just say good night so say good night all good night all good night all Hey, all my friends out there looking for more Spoiler Room goodness, then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmark productions, where you can get access to exclusive Spoiler Room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the Spoiler Room as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support and remember in the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.